Welcome everyone to the Rest of Us podcast, a show that highlights those that are doing great things in their community. My name is Rob Adams and I will be your host. Today we have Detective Rulon Green with us from Draper City. We're glad to have Rulon here on the show and we hope that he inspires you to do great things in your community. So without further ado, welcome to the Rest of Us podcast. Hey, Rulon. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, man, I, we have so much to talk about, um, but um, I got to tell you, fans out there who are listening, um, Rulon is involved in our community at the highest levels. And so, number one, thank you for your service. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. So, Rulon, tell us a little bit about yourself. When did you get into law enforcement? Um, so, I got into law enforcement in uh, 2007. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of, you know, working in the community and, you know, I was actually living in Los Angeles at the time. And uh, I... So you were with Los Angeles County? I was with Los Angeles County. And uh, while I was there, uh, I was kind of doing real estate, you know, kind of mm-hmm. property management. And um, it was crazy because our, our company truck got stolen. And uh, I got a call from the Carson Sheriff's Station in, in Los Angeles. And they're like, hey, we recovered your truck. So I go over there and I met some of the deputy sheriffs over there. And they were so nice. And, you know, I, I didn't get to know a lot about police um, growing up because, you know, it was always like, oh, no, the police are coming, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I was kind of honestly, I was kind of afraid of, of police. And then I got to know uh, some of the deputy sheriffs at the Carson Sheriff Station. And uh, they're like, yeah, you, you should apply, you know. And so I, you know, went through the application process. Which is a long process. Very long process. Yeah. Took me like a year to get yeah. in. And so, so just yeah. so you know, um, friends, and I've been through this process. I worked in law enforcement for a minute, not in Los Angeles, but um, there's a physical test. Um, there's mental evaluations. You have to take a lie detector test. There's a lot that they put you through in order to screen out or, or make sure that you are the right makeup to be in law enforcement. Is that is that how your experience was? Absolutely. So when I, when I applied, um, there was probably about 300 candidates for I don't know how many positions, but I know that uh, it was it was tough going through all all the you know hurdles to get to the the job, and I just somehow you know by the grace of God they hired me. And uh, no, you know, it's very modest. I mean, you had to outperform and be quality to make it into that. Yeah. That group. So- so only, so I was told only one percent uh, make it. So out of every four thousand candidates, only one percent make it out of the four thousand. So hmm. wow, yeah. So it's a, it's a tough it's a tough uh, you know gig to get into. But I think it's interesting and important that everyone should know that uh, becoming a cop or a police officer um, is not just putting in an application. It is you have to really want that position. And so my question for you, other than um, you met some really good guys and here you were, why did you want to be in law enforcement? Um, so my dad served served our country. He was in the Korean War and he always had great stories of you know being in the service and uh, my brother actually works up at the state prison, Utah State Prison, as a lieutenant. And so I, you know, got to the point where I was like, you know what, I need, I need purpose in my life. I need to go out and help people. That you know, it, it was my calling, and I felt like I put so much into it. I mean, I couldn't even run, you know, a quarter of a block. 
<laughs> yeah. And so, and so by the end of the academy, you know, I was doing a, a 540 mile, and I'm like, this wow, is, this is incredible, life changing, so, life changing, lifestyle changing. I mean, you, I went in the academy, a, a, a young man, and came out an older man, <laughs> so to speak. It was, you know, I, I felt like I, I grew into myself and it's it's a very fitting job for me because I enjoy serving people and it's instant, you know, you're instant, you're a boot on the ground, you're seeing what's going on in the neighborhoods, you're seeing what's going on, you know, out on the streets and you're, you're in people's houses and they're telling you things that they wouldn't tell their own family. Yeah. I mean, they, they tell me all kinds of things and my goal is to help as many people as I can. Love that. So fast forward now. We've um, you've gone through the academy. You've got your um, your you're now working in the jail in L.A. And you bump into a young man. He's about 18 years old, and he um, he's in there because he stole a Prius. You kind of had an epiphany at that time. Um, tell me about that. Yeah. So you know, working in the jail, you're encountering you know thousands of people, and I happen to get assigned a, so, so they have uh, trustees and the trustees, they wear a different uh, prison jumpsuit or jail jumpsuit and they help you with tasks around the jail, you know, bringing lunches for the other inmates and so forth. And this young man, you know, was very talkative, seemed like, he didn't seem like the type that would fit in the jail. And I was like, you know, why are you in here? And he's like, well, you know, I stole a Prius and I'm like, how old are you? 12? Cause he looks so young and he's like, no, I'm 18. And, uh, and, and I said, you know, well, tell me, tell me about that. You know, what, what inspired you to steal a Prius of all cars, you know? And, and so he kind of, you know, told me everything about his, his upbringing, you know, his, how his parents were with him and, uh, his rough neighborhood that he grew up in and how he was, you know, kind of, you know, smaller than everyone else. And so people would kind of pick on him. So he kind of got involved with the wrong people and they kind of, you know, put him up to, to taking that car. And, um, he ended up in jail and I just thought, geez, you know, maybe if he had somebody that, you know, was there that, you know, he could look up to cause he didn't have anybody, he didn't have any role models. He had his, you know, whoever he met on the street and, you know, they're your best friend until they're not. And, you know, he, he got himself in some major trouble. And so. So what you mentioned to me that I thought was interesting was you had a feeling that um, you were maybe a little bit too late um, to help influence this young man's life. And, and you perhaps did being um, a peer um, guidance, even though you were an officer and he was in that trustee position. Um, but there was kind of an awakening where you thought, gosh, this is this is a, little, a lot too late, right? And so um, now I want to fast forward now, and here we are. Um, you're a detective um, in Draper City, and you are involved in a lot of different programs that are more uh, preemptive policing or preventative than that um, arriving after the, after the fact. Um, can you tell me about a couple of those programs? Yeah, so... Um you know, they had a uh, position to, uh, so I worked patrol in Draper, and then um, they had a position open for a school officer, and the school officer would also teach the D.A.R.E. program. And I remember back in the 90s when I went through D.A.R.E., how much it, it kind of affected me. You know, I, I had an awareness about drugs, and I knew what, you know, what they would do to you and so I never messed with drugs and never went around them and I thought well you know I 
I, I look back at the time working in the jail and talking to all those inmates that were in there and that young 18-year-old, and I thought, geez, if I, if I could build a time machine and go back in time and, you know, tell this kid where he's going to end up, you know, maybe it could change his outcome. And so I thought, what better way to get involved and, and do something than to reach these fifth graders? Because I teach the D.A.R.E. program, which is the Drug Abuse Resistance Education program, to fifth graders, you know, in the elementary schools. And these kids, I mean, I go in there and they make me feel like a rock star. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, listen to every word I say. Um, they ask a lot of questions. And um, I, I believe that I have quite an impact on them. I mean, they have the knowledge, they're getting the information, and I mean, I'm bombarded with questions. So they are definitely listening, and they're definitely, in, you know, inquiring with me about, you know, drugs and, you know, just choices, healthy choices, making healthy choices, and, you know, how to deal with peer pressure, how to deal with bullies, and um, they remember me because I'm at the middle school. So once they get out of elementary school, then I see him again at the middle school, and I'm with them, you know, through middle school and then uh, until they get to high school. And so during the time in middle school, um, after I teach him D.A.R.E., I'm with them at the middle school. We do um, activities at the school, and I engage in, in the students, and uh, I, I think it's very, very positive experience for them and myself. I mean, I've grown just from learning from these kids. I feel like I've, I've grown up so much in the last four years of, of being in the community and I feel like the they're more willing to come up and talk to me if, if something's going on. At Why home. do you think that is? I mean I know that you're oh I mean let's face it you are uh, in a position of authority you come in there and you're in your uniform you are there you, you go through the D.A.R.E. program which um, if I'm right there's a there's a curriculum associated with the D.A.R.E. program there's even a graduation isn't that right? Yeah so we it's a 10-week uh, program and so I go there you know once a week for about 45 minutes we cover you know basically respect what it means to be a good citizen um, and then we cover you know, risks and consequences. And so we kind of break things down, not just, you know, don't do drugs. It, it's how to say no to drugs, um, how to deal with peer pressure, how to deal with, with bullies. And then towards the end of graduation, um, or towards when we get through it, we have graduation at the end and we reserve the auditorium in the schools. We have a, a nice graduation recognizing that they participated and, and you know, we have some outstanding students that write some very good D.A.R.E. essays and so those D.A.R.E. essays are recognized and uh, you know I there has not been a year that I haven't read a D.A.R.E. essay that has made me tear up. Really? Yeah I mean these kids are some they're, they're the greatest I mean if if we can't invest in our kids um, you know I don't know where this world would be because these kids really are impacted by this time that I spend with them, and so powerful. I love that. Yeah. Um, I um, I never went through the Dare program. I'm a I'm a senior citizen, and they didn't have those programs back then. But I love that idea. I love the idea that um, my kids are getting um, straight talk about drugs from someone besides dad. Um, because you know what does dad know when you're when you hit the fifth grade into those junior high years um, your credibility as a parent goes out the window and so it's nice to have or to think that there are authority figures that are giving our kids 
some information that's going to be useful in their decision making moving forward. So I, I really appreciate that. One of the other things that I um, wanted to go over just quickly with you is the peer court. Um, peer court is something that I've just barely learned about just a few minutes ago, and I thought it was fascinating. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, so along with uh, being a school officer, um, what better person to assign peer court to is somebody who's working with, with the students. And uh, so what peer court is, it's, it's a... It's a court run by peers, so typically I have a panel of high school-aged juveniles that will come in and they will be the jury for the peer for, you know, say, you know, a, a juvenile goes out and, you know, damages something or, or you know, criminal mischief or steals something, and, you know, most of the time they just, you know, impulsive, they did a mistake and they want to make it right. And so peer court's a great fit for that. It keeps them out of the criminal justice system and it gives an opportunity to learn from how much what they did impacts others. And so they realize the value and how much they can devalue something by their actions. And so they, they come in with their parents, they sit amongst their peers and uh, we help them out with, you know, trying to find out why they stole and then they will go out and do service for the community. And we've actually had some, some of our uh, offenders, juvenile offenders, that have ended up on our peer court. Interesting. Like a complete 180-degree turnaround um, from getting, you know, horrible grades, you know, out there causing trouble, doing things. And they became part of our peer court family. And one of them recently got into the U. Got wow. accepted the U. So um, it, that is, to me, that, that is life-changing. I mean, it, it makes me feel good because I'm like, you know what? This is, this is working. This is, I'm making this work. And I think it's just, you know, something that gives people a chance. I love that. I'll tell you something that um, when I was hearing you talk about peer court earlier in our pre-interview, um, the thing that caught my attention most was the idea that um, when you're talking to these youth offenders who are, um, into mischief and trespassing and um, not major offenses because those would go of course to the court system these are these are kids that are kind of in the entry level nonsense um, the things that you learn most are the additional attention um, some of these youth need they're, they're kind of calling out for help um, can you tell me a little bit more about that yeah so so that's what I found uh, a lot of them um, that come in the, they they have something else going on stirring inside you know something something may have happened in the family that was never you know really dealt with and so you know i've had parents look at their their daughter or son and and are like i had you know i thought we were past this you know you know you know and so they found more you know it's kind of brought families together in a sense because it's kind of an open discussion amongst the family and they realize you know, for some reason, the, the peer court, you know, makes them, they talk. And it's incredible to see somebody so hardened when they come in there and scared to just let down those walls and tell us everything that, you know, they're feeling, how they, you know, don't feel like a part of the family or they're excluded or, you know, they're sad because, you know, they're, one of them I think had in there, their uncle had passed away. And he had never addressed that. He'd never gone to counseling. His family had no idea that he was still grieving that. And it was coming out in, in ways that were not healthy. And so um, we got him into counseling. And, uh, 
you know, I actually ran into them, you know, I think uh, in January, and they had turned around, like everything's great, and they're back on track, and, you know, I see this stuff, and this is this is what is all about. It's it's not about me. It's about my value is what I can give to others. It's it's you know that's where I get my value from. I love that. I appreciate that very much. Well, we're going to take a quick um, commercial break, and then we're going to get back. There's some exciting things on the horizon here for our detective Rulon Green, and we're going to talk about those. And uh, stay tuned. Thank you for tuning into the Rest of Us podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by the Bowen Adams Real Estate Team. Call us at 801-999-8005. If you are looking for safety and security and finding someone that you trust in finding a home, please give the Bowen Adams team a call. All right, we're back with Detective Rulon Green. We've talked a little bit about his past, the story where he came from, and um, what he's been involved with as far as um, what I like to call um, preemptive policing. Is that is that a good way to put it? Is Or pre... Preactive policing, proactive policing. I, proactive would be would be a good way to put it. All right, all right. Sorry, I'm 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 a little ignorant here. Um, and there's some great ideas out there. Um, so as we were talking, um, one of the things that we talked about was your involvement in the community and your involvement in your in your department. Um, one of the things that you're doing right now, and, and there's there's two or three that I'd like to highlight, is you're the president of the FOP. Now FOP stands for Fraternal Order of Police. And tell me about your involvement in that program. So Fraternal Order of Police, uh, we have different lodges. Um, I'm in Fraternal Order of Police for the Draper Lodge, number 18. Um, there's lodges all around the state of Utah. It's a national organization um, dedicated to helping police officers. And so um, we are recognized nationally and uh, I am the president of that. Uh, I got to Draper and you know, I always want to get involved in things. I want to get in there and see what I can do to help anyone, even my fellow police officers. And I feel like sometimes our fellow police officers kind of get forgotten about. And so we also need an adv- we need advocates ourselves as right. police officers. And so being the president of the FOP um, makes me feel like an, also an advocate for our officers. You know, when you say advocate, you mean advocate in what regard? So, you know, it's been tough for police officers the last couple of years. We've had a lot of police officers killed in line of duty, and um, we're an organization that reaches out to families and helps those that, uh, you know, financially um, we make donations to officers that have been killed in line of duty. Um, we support, you know, police and organizations, and we do police week, and just awareness of, of who we are because um, I think that, uh, you know, we, we do get forgotten about sometimes. Um, well, I'll tell you, there's definitely a brotherhood, if I can use that word, when it comes to being in law enforcement. And I was uh, involved in the Fraternal Order of Police when I was, way back when I was in the business. And I know that we helped a few families. Um, and, and there wasn't anything as tragic as um, losing um, their father or their mother as a police officer, but um, there was a sickness in the family, and we stepped in and made sure that they were able to make ends meet because, um, you know, surprisingly enough, law enforcement officers don't make a ton of money, and it doesn't take a lot to get behind and into a hard spot. And so there was a couple times that I know we all kind of pooled together, and I think we really helped people out, change some lives. And so I think it's a great organization. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, anytime, you know, and it's not just police. Um, we, we've, we've helped out our, our 
brothers in, in red, our fire, fire department. Um, they have their own police union, but, you know, we're all, we're all part of the same team, emergency services, and, uh, you know, we, we take care of, of all of our emergency services. But primarily, you know, Fraternal Order Police, we're out there, we'll, we'll do fundraisers, you know, to help us, you know, buy additional equipment we need or help, you know, an officer that has been, you know, killed in the line of duty will help their families you know and just you know financially if anything you know it it can take a big burden off and so we try to we try to raise money in that aspect and you know sometimes giving people money to to help pay their bills and things like that while their you know primary um, income is is gone because you know somebody was harmed or, or killed in the line of duty, um, you know, it affects us all. Um, anytime I see an officer killed in the line of duty or hurt on the news, you know, it, it gets me because I care so much about, you know, my my brothers and sisters in blue. I mean, they lay down, lay down their life for me. And, exactly. Yeah. So the, the greatest sacrifice. So one of the things that you mentioned um, as far as helping out your other officers, and um, you are part of the critical incident management um, response team. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? So the state of Utah, it's a great thing. I'm very, very glad that they have that. Is anytime an incident happens, there's a major critical incident. Maybe an officer gets in a shooting, or you know, any traumatic, uh, anything traumatic that they see on the job. You know, we're human beings. Uh, we get affected by things that we see on duty. Um, I mean, I've seen things, you know, on duty that. You can't unsee. I can't unsee, and I'm like, how in the world, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when an officer is in need, and, and I've been called out on a few of them. We've had some some major incidents here in Utah over the last couple of years. Um, just being there for, you know, and it's not just for police. It's for our um, emergency services workers. Okay. So most people, because um, I've taken a lot of training through there, um, the critical incident stress management, um, and I didn't know this until I took the training, is that any first responder that signs up for this job, you can take 19 years off their life. So 19 years of their life is gone for being in this profession. Yeah, once they sign up for this job, you can subtract 19 years off their life. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Right, and so I had I had no idea either. And so it makes sense for the 20 year retirement, um, but you know, you're getting 20, 20 years, you do 20 years and you get 50% of your pay. Um, and so, I mean, it's kind of tough on half your pay. Um, and so, you know, I mean, officers that I've worked with for a long time, they, you know, they'll have back problems. I mean, I carry this equipment around, gun, gun belt. And so every time I get in and out of the car, you know, you're working your back. It's, it's a very strenuous job. Um, you know, we train all the time. And so we have to take our fitness tests all the time. So it's a lot of ongoing training. So it's a lot um, given. And so, you know, the retirement, uh, be nice to get a little more than 50%. I agree. <laughs> when it comes to the critical incident management, um, I'll tell you, when I was uh, in law enforcement for my short eight-year period, um, I uh, saw things that um, 
I, I like you said, we can't unsee. And I was surprised at how they were, um, how they would affect me months and even years later down the road. And I think that if there was an accumulation of that kind of um, stimulation in your life, I could see how that would affect you, your long term, your longevity. Um, it's a lot of stress dealing with those things and um, these little, these emotions bubbling up, these um, feelings of anger and stress and um, depression. Where are they coming from? Well, you saw some things that were terrible and you're not processing them, right? Because as a law enforcement officer, you're kind of looked at as a tough guy. Um, you know, get back to work, get back on the horse kind of a thing. And these things can take their toll on on people. And so as a um, um, part of the management team, is that something that you deal with quite often? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, when, when we do these, uh, the debriefing, we go over the incident. Um, and, and here's another thing that I, I didn't realize is our dispatchers, you know, as officers and first responders, we go to the scene, we have resolution, we have closure. The dispatchers, you know, they're hanging on the edge of their seat. They're dispatching us, getting us where we need to be. And they don't have closure. They go home thinking about whatever happened mm. on that scene. And that's something that, you know, was brought to my attention. And I'm like, geez, how would it be to dispatch somebody? And you're so involved in this call as a dispatcher. You talk to the citizen. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're trying to talk them down and then you're arranging the, the emergency response. I can see that. Yeah, and there's there's no closure and they, they're like, well, you know, what happened? Whatever happened. What happened with that person? Did that person live? Did they, you know, die? And so it it does take a, it does take a toll. And being, you know, like you said, t- these tough guy officers, um, you know, that's another thing is like if you, you know, officers don't like to come forward about, you know, if they're having some mental, you know, stress or, you know, because it becomes a fitness for duty kind of right. thing. I mean, could jeopardize your job. Absolutely. And so I'm reaching out to officers to be more um, vocal. And, you know, the good thing about a peer support system is that they can come and talk to me and we can keep it um, between us. And, you know, I can help them quietly and get them where they need more resources and so forth. Or and so, probably someone to talk about. He's someone to talk to it about or talk to them about what happened. Like, I think that would be, because I remember thinking like, gosh, I wish I could, wish there was somebody I could go to and just say, hey, this is bugging me. I just need to talk about it. And have you ever had anything like this happen? Because you're so isolated in that tough guy persona. I think that that, um, having that trust has got to be, it's got to be huge. You're exactly right. And that's another thing is like, I don't want to bring home things that I see on this job. I don't want to bring that home into my house. Hmm. Um, So, you know, that's one thing that uh, officers or people ask me in general is like, how do you separate, you know, work from home? And, you know, honestly, I, you know, if it's a really busy, rough day, you know, working out on patrol and you see, you know, all kinds of things, it takes me about two to three hours to wind down. So if I'm working till, you know, one o'clock in the morning, I won't be going to sleep until four. Wow. Because, you know, you're so... Decompressing. Yeah, you're amped up from the job and... Uh, mm. It is nice to, to have other officers you can talk to because I feel like officers kind of understand, you know, what speak we go through. Speak the same through. language. Yep, speak right. the same language. I love that. Well, the last thing that I want to talk about in uh, some detail, if you don't mind, is your bid for city council in West Jordan, District 3. Is that right? That's, 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 that's a, that is correct. All right. And so that's happening, like, right now. You are in the process of kind of getting out there, talking to people. And um, so what is your goal uh, to be on the city council? Why, why the city council? So 
I live out in, in District 3. They're building like crazy out there. and One of the fastest growing communities in the United States. Did you know that? I That is... It's believable, isn't that it? That is very believable. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's my city. I care about my city. Um, you know, everything I do, I, I give 100%. And I'm, I'm very passionately involved in anything I do. Even just taking out the trash, I'll do it with 100%. With some authority. With some conviction. <laughs> and so being out there in, in West Jordan and seeing the growth, I, I'm thinking, geez, you know, I'm out there serving the public. I'm a boot on the street. You know, crime doesn't know any boundaries, doesn't know, you know, race, color, you know. Zip code, anything. Zip code. And we need more resources out here in West Jordan. And, you know, being, doing what I do, I, I feel like I, I would be a good representative on city council. You have a perspective um, that perhaps others don't. Yeah. And, and I'm a boot on the ground that's out there, you know, working in the community, talking to people. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a problem solver. Police officers, we're, we're problem solvers. Yeah, you know what works. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's just another way I want to get involved in the community. And um, I, I felt like it's something that I, I, I would be passionate about and that I would do a really good job at. I love that. So if you were on the city council, I mean, those guys on the city council, gosh, they must make thousands and millions of dollars. Is that a, is that a volunteer position? Is it a job? How does that work? Um, so I thought it was volunteer, um, and I'm more than willing to volunteer to do that because I'm passionate about, you know, doing things in the community. Um, it does pay a small salary. It's a part-time job. Um, I think it pays like 18000 a year um, mm. part-time. And so I would still be able to do my police job and that as, as a part-time job. And so I'm working with the public anyways, and I'm solving problems daily. And I felt like that's something that it's I It's a huge fit. I love yeah, that. That's, yeah. a, that's a great way to go. So um, if you were to be on um, in the city council in West Jordan, what would be one of the first things or one of the first focuses you would have in that job? Well, I'd like to sit down with... Um, you know our police chief all the emergency services make sure they have all the resources they need to make sure they have all the officers they need and then start moving up into the communities of you know because we need resources out there yeah. I mean with them building so much um, w that would be my first step is is doing that and then getting into the budget and figure out where we can you know, cut spending on and, you know, get more businesses in, in West Jordan because I'm way out there in the in the west side. So we don't have a lot of stores. We don't have a lot of restaurants. And so we want to get business back to West Jordan um, and just infrastructure. I mean, so it's doing some forecasting like at this rate that we're growing. We need to have this many officers. And in order to have this many officers, then we need to have this much money in our budget. And in order to have this much money, we have to have this many businesses. And and so it goes. It's all a, a cycle or process. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, it, it is a process and it's something that, uh, you know, we can solve. And I'm working with other council members and the mayor and, uh, you know, we got to do this together, regardless of, of what what uh, they believe themselves. To me, it's all about the community, and it's about what what the the residents want, and how we can fix whatever issues they have. Mm -hmm. And so, getting out and talking to people, um, I've put my phone number out there for all the West Jordan residents, and they can call me, they can email me, and I will get to them. I will get to each and every one of them that emails me or calls me. 
Oh, let's talk about that for a second. In our show notes here, I want to make sure that everybody who's listening has an opportunity, especially if you are um, a citizen living in the District 3 area, to know how can I support Rulon in his um, his bid for the city council. I know you can go to uh, rulongreenforwestjordan.com. That's your uh, website. Um, and I know you're doing some um, social media stuff. Where can they find you on social media? So I'm on Facebook. Um it's uh they can find me under Rulon green and uh you know i'm still in the infancy in the facebook digital world because i haven't had facebook for because i'm a police officer i haven't had facebook for years so um safety thing but i'm out there already you know and you know i'm not afraid to take citizens calls or emails and i'm happy to hear from you because i'm the type of person that will get things done um and find solutions if i can't figure it out i will find somebody who will be able to help you figure it out nice i love that's that's just wonderful i'll i'll tell you something um to be a a member of this great country um i believe requires some civic responsibility and in order to be when i say civic responsibility i mean getting out and making your voice heard and voting now if i wanted to vote um for rulon green in my district when am i going to be doing that so uh primaries coming up uh the ballots are going out July, I want to say July 26th, um, and then the vote is actually August 6th okay. for the primary. All right, and so August 6th, you have an opportunity to have your voice heard here in the community, and I have to tell you, um, I've met a lot of people um, who are running for office or have um, aspirations to be in a public office that don't have the perspective that uh, Detective Green has. Um, I really feel that that perspective can make a huge difference in forecasting where West Jordan is headed and um, the law enforcement infrastructure program, as you mentioned. I think that you have a, a perspective that would be hugely beneficial to the community. And so I want to wish you the best of luck in your ploy to become a, a member of the city council. You deserve it. Absolutely. I appreciate that. And, you know, at the end of the day, if, if, if I'm not elected, um, you know, the public has spoken and that's, that's what they want. And so I want to give the public what they want. So if, if they want to vote for me, um, just, you know, just know that, uh, I will be passionate about it and do what's right for, for the community and not for, uh, self-interest. Love that. No doubt about it. Well, citizens, get out and vote. Watch for that ballot. August 6th is uh, when we're going to make our voices heard. And then there towards the end of July, you're going to see that ballot coming through so that you can make your choice. Um, and we're going to have in the show notes, please take note that um, his, his contact information is there available for you should you have any questions on his platform um, and how you can get in touch with him or learn more about Rulon. Uh, the other thing, too, is if you've enjoyed this episode of The Rest of Us Podcast, please like it and share it with your friends because we are trying to promote good people like Detective Green in our community doing good things. And that is our whole goal. So thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Rest of Us, the show that highlights those who are doing great things in their community. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Give us a nice review and subscribe below. We also wanted to thank our sponsor, the Bowen Adams Real Estate Team here at Keller Williams South Valley. If you are looking to buy and sell a home or are a real estate agent looking to join the best team in the world, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and BowenAdams.com. We love you guys and hope you have a great week. Thank you.